You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Well, tis the season uh, for blow-up things on people's lawns and lights on their houses and trees in our living rooms. It's finally happened. And I think for me, uh, it's not the blow-up thing so much as it's the Christmas carols. I've been kind of, I don't know, I've been more into Christmas carols this year than usual. And uh, I think I tend to have a love-hate relationship with them. I don't know about you. Like you start out the year, or maybe the season, and it, like, it feels really good. And then after a bit, the Spotify playlist starts to get really old. And <laughs> you sort of hit this like, lull of like, all right, I get it. Christmas is coming, and it's fun. But I could use some different songs, or at least different arrangements, and then like right around Christmas, it starts to pick back up, and oh man, I'm gonna miss this. There's something about the music of Christmas that I think just hooks me, and for whatever reason, I haven't had the dip yet, it just hasn't happened. And I think it's because I've been avoiding the purely nostalgic songs, the uh, bumpity bump bump, look at Frosty go, kind of uh, have a holly jolly Christmas. Why? Because it's the best. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think for some reason I've just I've been dialed into those songs that are I don't know made it through decades and and centuries because they're connected not to some thing in pop culture or some TV show I watched when I was a kid, but because they're connected to this eternal story and their message is very clear, like remarkably clear when you think about Christmas carols. Uh, o come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Silent night, holy night, Son of God loves pure light. Hark, the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Glory to the shall see stay, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Very just like blatant in terms of the message that they believe in, and somehow this message in our post-Christian world is still attractive, which blows me away. I can't imagine anyone singing anything more explicit than some Christmas carols. And it's in Starbucks, and it's in Target, and you're walking to the grocery store and somebody's singing or whistling along with these things. And I would bet you a million dollars, no COVID, I could walk into a bar at 1 a.m. and start singing a Christmas carol, and I could get a bunch of drones to join me. I could absolutely get a single one going, there's no question in my mind. I could absolutely, no COVID, go with some of you, knock on strangers' doors, sing these songs, and they would give us COVID. We know that that's true. That's a bizarre thing. That somehow in our culture, there's just this, this thing that has leaked out of the church and is like stuck in the world. That this should be a time of peace and of hope and of joy and of love. And they don't know why, but they really like these songs. And they really like these songs, I think, because the content is really deep and profound. Because it talks about a God who loves us so much that he became one of us. And the fancy theological word for that is incarnation, right? God with the meat of the human condition, human experience. That God loved us so much, he was with us. And those are the songs we sing each year at this time, and that's a simple but profound thing, and it reminds us, I think, of how good our God is, and what it is that we look forward to at Easter, and why it is that Easter is so profound, because of how amazing Christmas is, and because Christmas is so amazing, Easter is so profound. And so today what we're going to be talking about is a Christmas carol that you can find in your Bibles in Colossians. So if you would turn with me to Colossians, you're going to need an actual Bible. You can be on a phone. It's all right. I'm doing it. I'm searching. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be at verse 13. And this is, uh, yeah, this is a Christmas carol in the Bible. We're continuing a series called uh, Simple. 
And we've been talking about uh, just the fact that COVID at some level forces simplicity on us this Christmas. And that might actually be a really good thing to stop and sit and reflect. So Colossians chapter 1, starting verse 13. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, by make, oh, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks to you. So this is a Christmas carol. It doesn't look like it, because we don't sing it every year, and because there was no tune, read it. and also because it was written in a different language, and it's hard to bring a song from a different language into our language without losing some of the meaning. If you've ever listened to Juanes and tried to translate it, it just doesn't come across in the same way. So, so Juanes fans out there, thank you. He's a Latin American singer, but go online, you'll, you'll enjoy it. So good, thank you very much. And so this, um, I, I kind of broke the song down for you a little bit so you can catch some of the rhythm of it. So this is an obnoxiously literal translation. Okay, and the the rhythm of it is sort of broken up. This is how most scholars in the New Testament would kind of talk about the rhythm of the song, but they're Greek syllables, so it still won't look like it makes sense. All right, so notice how often Jesus is referred to in Greek, and never by name, which is a very Jewish thing to do, to talk about God without ever actually talking about God. Notice how many things Jesus has created. And that he's still creating on the cross, in purple. Notice in yellow how often we get the word all or everything, which is the same word in Greek. Notice that Jesus doesn't just make all things, that he doesn't just get all of the glory, but that also all of God is in Jesus. And finally, notice the different titles we get for Jesus. How often we get references to uh, being the first or the best, or being better than the first and the best, being the beginning, the head, the ruler, the supreme. The, I think your, your translation might have said something like that, the preeminence in there, the leader. And this is a song about Jesus. And there's something about a good song that doesn't feel the need to explain things. In fact, the annoying thing I just did was explain the song. Because that's not, that's not how good songs work. You just go, yeah, this is really good, and you sing along. And that's sort of what Paul is trying to do. He's talking about the nature of God. He's talking about the nature of Jesus. And he's not bothering to explain it. He's just telling us what it is that we believe, that Jesus Christ is absolutely God, and he is absolutely human. And this is the best news that has ever come to the world in which we live. You can like that. There's something really profound in the idea that God became a person. Uh, the truth of the first Christmas is that we didn't get it. In fact, if you read the stories in the Bible, it's clear that we did not get it. Uh, nobody showed up. Right? The rulers of the world did not come. The smartest people on earth did not come. The religious authorities who were con closely connected to the very God that we believe in, who should have known exactly where and exactly when, and had a pretty good idea, 
did not come. The only people who showed up were a couple of pagans from the east, some dirt poor shepherds, and a little girl and her fiance, and some barn animals, because they didn't even have a place to stay. That's how the God of the universe was welcomed into our world. That is unbelievable. God became unbelievably small because of how much he loves us. And nobody really even paid attention to Jesus for a long time. A very long time. It's not until he's feeding thousands of people that a lot of people are very interested, because, you know, free food. Now, it's not until Jesus is debating with all these religious authorities and saying all these things and is somehow both more religious and re less religious than them and keeps kind of schooling them on things they've studied for years that people take notice. It's not until people start listening to stories Jesus tells and say, man, those are, if God were really like that, I would, love, I would love to believe in a God like that. It's not until Jesus starts hanging out with all the wrong kinds of people all of the time that people take notice of this peculiar, strange rabbi. It's not until he's walking on water or turning water into wine, or healing people with a word. It's not until there's this huge crowd of people that people start paying attention. And then he dies on a cross, and that seems like a really anticlimactic moment. Just like right when he was getting popular, it all was over. And then he comes back from the dead, and he starts talking to all these people who know that he's dead, and they're kind of blown away by this, and they go, I'm not sure I understand Jesus. It's like it's then. It's not until after he's dead and back they go, oh, I don't think I got this. And those people spend the rest of their lives telling everyone they know that Jesus was God. And when they look back and they start trying to tell his story, they, they go back beyond when they first met him. And they, they start asking questions about what was it like when he was born. And you hear all these stories about angels and crazy moments that nobody really was there to see except well, the poor and the outcast. And the sort of people actually that Jesus spent his whole life talking to. Unbelievable. Everybody loves a good origin story. Everybody loves to go to, this is why This Is Us is such a popular story. It is one giant origin story. It is constantly looking backward and forward all the time. It's amazing. That show is so popular. Uh, the Minions, right, and Groot, both from Despicable Me, kept getting prequels. Talk about beating a dead horse. That whole series, like, you just keep seeing the Minions doing things. Marvel and DC are constantly giving you stories about how this mild-mannered, ordinary man got these godlike powers. All the time. But when Paul talks about the origin story of Jesus... It's not really like there was some guy who suddenly could walk on water. It's like there was some God who one day just decided to become a person. That's the story of Jesus. There's no moment when Jesus becomes God. Jesus has always been God. Long before there was ever anything, he was. In the beginning, he was. He has always been the Son of the Father since before there was time. Eternally begotten, God from God, light from light. That's what the creeds say. This is the God that we believe in. And Paul starts talking about it and just kind of breaks into song. All this, look, he's the, he's the, he's, he's just so, and you, you can't really, you just can't contain yourself. There's this sudden Christmas carol that breaks out. People go, oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. So when it says things like he's the firstborn of creation, right? Jesus is this strange guy who both has no origin and then also has a very defined origin. Because the human person, Jesus, has a birthday. But the God we know in Jesus has no birthday. There was no time when that God wasn't. And yet Jesus has this very specific day when he comes and is born and becomes a person. And this is a crazy mystery that we believe in, that God is with us, that God became one of us. And Jesus Christ is very human, absolutely a person, exactly like human beings has a birthday, 
has a heart, a soul, a mind, and a body. Everything we have, he has. And he is at the same time completely different than we are. The God of the universe. It says he is the image of the invisible God. He has done something for us that no other God has ever done. Done something for us in our story that no other story contains. He became one of us. That he might lead us back to himself. The image of the invisible God. There's a woman named Rebecca Pippert, whose story I heard recently, she was an agnostic who many years later uh, became a Christian. She's sort of an author and she tells her story among other stories. And uh, one day, she, she sort of came um, into the process of thinking about faith by thinking about those big human questions. Is there a God? What would he be like if he was? What is life like when it's lived at its best? Does life have meaning and value? Is there life after death? Big human questions, really most people ask them at some point in their lives. And so she's been asking these questions and thinking about it. She's laying down in kind of a park on a sunny day and just sort of enjoying the warmth of the sun, which is not a thing that we do because we live in Phoenix and the warmth is the worst. But she's enjoying <laughs> the sun and she's looking up at the dark blue sky and there's clouds kind of skidding across and she's sort of feeling the grass under her. It's one of those days you don't have to go anywhere. And she rolls over and she's looking at the grass and it just sees this like little mound of ants kind of doing its own thing. And one of the ants is having some trouble and so she bends the grass down and you can get a little like seed. And uh, then another one of them, she starts kind of like really paying attention to the ants and just sort of enjoying them moving around. So she helps a few of them out with like gathering stuff and there's one that seems like he's heading the wrong direction so she just, <laughs> and he blows right back toward the pile. And she puts, you know, a couple of rocks in front of a few of them to kind of redirect them. And then there's just this really funny moment where she thought, you know, it'd be really funny if the ants down there are talking about like, do you believe in Becky? <laughs> some of them have had the experience of like, I've seen Becky, and others are like, I don't believe it. I've never seen Becky. You have to prove it to me. Like, I'm not in control of Becky. Becky's just out there somewhere. She does things. And that earthquake we felt a little while ago, Becky was smashing something that was threatening us. No, that was just an earthquake. There's this whole conversation in her head about like, what it would be like to be an ant, and whether or not there would be prophets that speak in the name of Becky, and what they know, <laughs> what they know about the good purposes that she has for the ants, and how she studies their ways. Um, yeah. There, there was this moment where she's like, you know, I'd probably, if I wanted to really talk to him about it, I'd have to become, I'd have to be an ant so I could speak their language, but I'd need to keep some of my beckiness so that they could, like, see that I, would, that I was better than ants, like, that they would believe in me. And it was this really funny thing where, like, the more she's thinking about the ants, the more she's thinking about this, she goes, if there was a God, it would be like that. And actually, now that I think about it, I'm in a park looking at ants, and for all I know, this is him, like, kind of moving a little brain a little closer to me so I can figure it out. And that became this, like, long process for her of examining many religions and then coming slowly and steadily to the conclusion that she believed in Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, there are many people in our world who would undoubtedly say, I'm not so sure I believe that that God exists. Prove it to me. And we go, I, I can't do anything other than point you to Jesus. If you can't believe in Jesus, there's nothing I can do for you. But I have found something in Jesus that is like, I mean, it's like God became one of us. And he kept enough of his godness that we could believe in him. And he was a human unlike any human I've ever seen. And he's a god like, unlike any god I've ever heard of. He's unbelievable. He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Firstborn, by the way, doesn't necessarily refer to being born. Right? In this time period, when you think of somebody who's born and born first, you think of the most important person in our family. The person who gets all the inheritance, the, like the big deal. So to call Jesus the firstborn of creation is to say he's better than Adam. 
He is the, he's like a second Adam. He's the firstborn from the dead, the guy who's going to lead us through death and back out the other side. He is the image of the invisible God. He's become one of us so that he might lead us back to himself. He is God with us. The word for image in Greek is a rich one, and we don't have a lot of time to talk about it, so I'm just going to pick one thing. But literally reading a dictionary on this word is fascinating. So just one thing. When you signed a legal document, so if you were like a big contract or a mortgage or an IOU, something like that, when you signed one in the ancient world, at the very end, in a world of no thumbprints and no social security numbers, they would need an icon. That's, that's what needed to happen. So the word in Greek is icon. And they would need an icon, so what would happen at the very end of your contract, you would sit and somebody would sketch you, which I think is hilarious. Like, we're not, this is a big mortgage, and now I'm just going to draw your face. <laughs> so that someday, like, if you try to, like, flake out on me with this eye, this is the girl. Like, I've, I've, I've drawn her down, and she wrote her name down below this, and, like, we know what she looks like. We've got her image. We have all of her defining characteristics. This is what Jesus does for us. This is absolutely who he is. He is the physical description of the God of the universe. He is the characteristics that you need to know about the God of the universe. He is God in the flesh. He is the image of the invisible God. God with us. And he's come, not just to make God visible, not just to show us what God looks like, but also when Jesus comes, he shows us some other things about our world, things that we would rather not see. Uh, he shows us the darkness. He makes it really clear, really obvious that the darkness is what it is. Right? He has rescued us from the power of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, through whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. He also makes sin really visible. And by the way, death, really visible. That's the problem. When you hang out with the author of life, with the God of the universe, with the sum total of holiness and righteousness and, and the glory of all things, you don't look so good. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you go, oh man, like I need a lot of work. And the amazing thing is, the amazing thing about the story of Jesus, he already knows, and he already loves you. And you go, no, no, he probably doesn't know everything about me. And he would say, I mean, I made you, man. I made like everything that is. A creator of things visible and invisible. What does that even mean? He's made things you can't even see, but they're there. You can't see them, but they are. He made them. He made you long before he ever made you. He knew that he loved you. Long before you ever did those things that you do that you don't like and that you're ashamed of, he loved you. Long before you ever thought you needed a Savior, he died for you on a cross. This is the God we believe in. And there's this weird thing about being with Jesus. You, you have this experience of realizing that he loves you so much, which makes you realize just how much love you need, which makes you realize just how much he loves you, which makes you realize just how much love you need. It becomes this weird feedback of gratitude, of responding to this God who's amazing. Because you didn't really realize just how deep his love went, because you didn't realize just how much you needed saving. And the more you follow, the more you realize you need saving. See, following Jesus changes you. Day in and day out, it changes you. And slowly you discover that you're the kind of person who desperately needs a Savior. And you discover that more and more, the more you rely on the Savior. And Paul, when he's talking about this to these Colossians, he may or may not be writing this song. It's very possible the song already exists. It's possible the Colossians sing this song. And he's quoting it, which would be hilarious, right? If I'm talking to you, like, hey, you know that song you sing, like, every year, that all the time, about, like, how great God is and, like, who he is and just how amazing he is? I think you might be forgetting those words, so I'm just going to remind you of all of those words that you sing, like, every week or every year at this time. Like, I'm going to give you the words of Christmas carols you know by heart. You've heard on Spotify playlists time and time again, because I'm not sure you're paying attention. I'm not sure you're paying attention to something simple and very basic. 
that God is with us. And Paul just riffs on that for a really long time. That God is with us, and that's the God who has rescued us from the power of darkness, who has forgiven our sins, who is leading us through death and out the other side. Now, in this season, I know that it is really difficult to have a lot of hope for the future. And that is fair. It has been a dark year. I have seen all kinds of memes and gifts about 2020, and I think they're pretty accurate. This is a, a, a pretty miserable situation that we're all in. And yet, in a weird way, what we are experiencing is what most people experience all over the world all of the time. There's this weird kind of veneer of Americana that we get sometimes that leads you and me to believe that our money will always be valuable, that our jobs will always be there, that really our, our goal in life is just to get the 2.5 kids and the garage and every other piece of the American dream, right? Or 2.2, however many kids you want. There's some kind of But that's, that's what the American dream's all about. We think about that, and then all of a sudden there's something like this that comes along and we, we suddenly feel insecure. We suddenly wonder if maybe like, we don't have the ability to make our lives perfect. We don't have the ability to save ourselves. If maybe actually there, there might be something more to us, and maybe we're small mortal beings in desperate need of the God of the universe to do something in our life. He has rescued us, it says, from powers that would absolutely seek to control, destroy, and enslave us. Sin is one of those powers. Darkness, which is just a general term for all of these things, one of those powers. Death, absolutely one. One of the things that happened to me this year, I've, I've been paying attention to the news in COVID, and they call it doom scrolling, which I think is, again, accurate. Look at how bad it's going to get. Oh, no. And back in April, there was a really upsetting article in the New York Times because the, the, the AP, the Associated Press, had taken some um, aerial footage of an island called Heart Island. Some of you may have seen this. Some of you may not know what this is. There's an island just off the coast of Long Island called Heart Island, H-A-R-T. And no one lives there. It's a graveyard. It's been a graveyard since the 1800s, and it's a graveyard for people who don't matter. It's called a potter's field. This is a thing that has existed for all time. Homeless people, prostitutes, people without a lot of money, people who died who we don't really know who they belong to, elderly people who don't have enough money to pay for these burial. Those people get buried on Hard Island. Always have. But in COVID, there were suddenly way too many deaths in New York City. They didn't know what to do with it. Wealthy people could always figure out what to do as far as funerals were concerned. But a lot of other people just had bodies that needed to be disposed of. And so there was this day that the AP has aerial footage of backhoes just clearing out dirt on Hard Island and coffin after coffin after coffin after coffin. Like something you see in films about genocide. Just unmarked graves and bodies in cheaply made coffins. And all of these workers who clearly just see this as their day job. Like it's a casual thing. Bodies going in the ground. And it turns out this island's been around for a long time, and this has been a common practice, and usually they pay prisoners a buck a day to do this work. So this is just a really ugly thing, even, by the way, in progressive liberal society, people don't care about the poor and the marginalized. And this New York Times article was extremely depressing, all the way through. This is what the pandemic has wrought, and now we have to look at these things. But the thing about Heart Island that it didn't mention, and I know why they didn't mention it, because they don't find this to be hopeful, is right in the middle of an island, there is a cross. Paige, can you pull that up for me? Right in the middle of the island, there's a cross, and this is a holdover from the 1800s when they put it down. And right here it says, he calleth his own by name. There is no unmarked grave when it comes to Jesus Christ. 
There is no death that can hold him. And if it can't hold him, it can't hold you. Now, I know it's scary to imagine people you know getting sick and dying. That's fair. We have a God who has conquered death. He is the firstborn, not just of creation, but from the dead. So that he might come to have first place in all things. He is the leader, the one who walks us out of the grave. And that's why it matters. That's why it matters that he's the God of the universe. And that's why it matters that he's really one of us. If he's not one of us, he can't save us. If he's not God, he can't save us. He's really human, and he's really God. He is God with us. One of the great saints of the church, Augustine, lots of the saints, honestly, spent a lot of time thinking about this. But one of the great saints, Augustine, used to say that you can't reach God. You can try, but you will fail. You can't reach God. What you can do is you can reach another person. And when you reach another person, you can grab on. And God knew this, and God knows how human beings are just built to be together. And so God became one of us, so that we could reach him, and he could reach us, and he could reach himself. And so Jesus becomes this mediator, this person kind of spamming the gap between God and humanity. And you and I who follow Jesus, we become mediators. We become people that other people grab onto and hear more about Jesus, can believe that there was a way out of death. There are people in our time who are desperate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. After 9-11, 10-20% of Manhattan was open to the gospel. And that didn't kill that many people. Honestly, I'm not saying it's not a big deal. I'm saying it didn't kill that many people. COVID is a worldwide event. If 10 to 20% of the people in Phoenix, Arizona are open to the gospel, oh my God, what an opportunity. If we can be people who can mediate, who can lead people to Jesus Christ, who can bear witness to the fact that there is a God who is stronger than death and sin and all of the other darkness combined, he has rescued us. And you and I don't belong to a kingdom that is defined by this anymore. We are defined absolutely by the cross. The Bible is not a story of humanity's search for God. Science is a story of humanity's search for truth and failing miserably and getting things right and then getting better. It's a story of progress, science. History is a story in many ways that people thought was about progress and it turns out it was just a story of humanity doing kind of the same thing but with different tools over time. <laughs> Philosophy and uh, religions in general. Our story about searches for meaning and for truth. Stories for its value and significance. Absolutely, something like God or something that, that would be on its way to God. Christianity is none of these things. It has bits and pieces of those things. Those things matter to us. They're not irrelevant to our lives. But Christianity is the story of a God who loved you so much, he was searching for you long before you were ever looking for him. A, a love as deep as hell, as deep as the grave and deeper. A love that goes stronger than death and stronger than the darkness and can lead us in and back out. And so nothing we've ever loved is really lost. And so nothing that ever seems lost cannot be found. No one who is ever desperate is beyond the reach of the God of the universe if they want him. Today, all you have to do is tell Jesus right now, I just need a Savior. And he will save you. He is that strong. It sounds so simple. He is that strong. He is that good. Grab onto him. He's already holding on to God. That's all you got to do. The image of the invisible God. The firstborn of creation, the one stronger than you know, death, the grave, sin, and the devil. Pick a thing. This is the God that we believe in. God with us. There's a story I was reading in the Chicago Tribune, which is why I thought that was, it was an amazing story. Because uh, it's weird to me that it's in just a regular newspaper. Uh, it's of a 41-year-old woman whose name I'm going to butcher because she's Cantonese. So this is my best. Su Zhu Yuan. 
Suju Yuan is an immigrant from China living in Chicago. She's 41 years old. Uh, she was dealing with a lot of health problems and separated from her husband by immigration laws and things like that. And she thought Americans celebrated Christmas as part of their patriotic duty. So for eight years in this country, she looked at Christmas much the same way that you and I look at the 4th of July. She was like, people have food and they bring people over and there are sales and they, they see it's nice. Like I'm, I'm a fan of Christmas and the American thing that is Christmas. Eight years in, she meets some Christians who care deeply about her health problems and the fact that she's separated from her husband. They help her actually get to another country where she can spend some time with her husband. They help her deal with some of those health problems. They pray over She experiences some miraculous things. But eight years in, that was the first time she heard that Christmas was about Jesus. And it blew her away, and she was baptized. That fast. Had no idea. Now, you think, who doesn't know that Christmas is about Jesus? I actually, quite a few people don't know that Christmas is about Jesus. And how are they going to know if we don't tell them? And so, there's a lot in the article about how, you know, immigrants would be appealed to by a religion that offers them hope and things like that. It's nice and passionate. Uh, but for Yuan, uh, for Sue, we'll just call her Sue. For Sue, it was a really simple thing. Really. She just genuinely believed that God could change her life. She just genuinely believed that Jesus was amazing, and she fell in love with him. And so she thought she wanted a brand new kind of life that she could get from Jesus. And so, Christmas and Eve day, uh, she donned a white gown and bare feet descended a narrow staircase to the church's baptismal pool. Gripping the pastor's arm with both hands, she let him plunge her head into the water, and she resurfaced, wiped the water from her face, and smiled. Today is like a holiday, she said. Moments later, dripping from head to toe, it's like having two Christmases. <laughs> There's a moment when you begin to understand what it means that God is with us. And it's not something that you get and you go, oh, cool, I figured this out, I can move on. We never grow out of it. Every year at this time of year, every year at this time of year, we stop and we go, I need to remember that a virgin gave birth to a kid in a stable and that kid was the son of God. Because everything else comes from that. The cross is meaningless unless this is really God in the flesh. And the cross is so much more amazing because this is really God in the flesh. The resurrection is so powerful and profound because this is really God in the flesh. This really changes me because this is really God in the flesh. This is God with us. It is the cry of a sinner. God with us. It is the cry of hope. God with us. It is a cry of desperation when you are at the end of your rope and you don't know what to do when you're having anxiety. It's at God with us. It is something we stand up and we sing about every Sunday. And we never get tired of singing about it every Sunday. Because God is with us. And that is incredible good news. Would you pray with me?